Welcome to the Lean Blog Podcast. Visit our website at www.leanblog.org. Now, here's your host, Mark Graben. Hi, this is Mark Graben. Welcome to episode 254 of the podcast. It's June 22nd, 2016. Episode 254 is really interesting to me for a number of reasons. Uh, for one, I have a guest co-host joining me for the first time. He is Chip Ponsford. He's a doctor of veterinary medicine and a former practice owner who I've gotten to know here in Texas over the past few years. Chip has been a great student of Lean, in many ways following a path similar to that of uh, Sammy Bari, the world's first lean dentist, in reading the classic lean books from industry because there had really been nothing written about lean and veterinary medicine. I've been helping Chip with his blog, leanvets.com. We've collaborated in a few other ways to help promote and uh, lean and educate people about lean and veterinary medicine. Our guest today, who we're both interviewing, is uh, Samantha or Sam Parrott. She's the Director of Business and Administrative Services at North Carolina State University Veterinary Health Complex. Chip and I ran across Sam's name in one of the few articles that we found on lean and veterinary medicine. Uh, we've linked to it on the site. If you go to leanblog.org 254, the headline was NC Vet College Dives into Lean Training. So I would encourage you to go read that article. In the podcast, we'll discuss their story at NC State and the potential for lean to make the jump into veterinary medicine more broadly. We hope you enjoy the discussion. And again, check out Chip's blog, leanvets.com. Well, Sam, thank you for being our guest here on the podcast today. You're very welcome. And Chip, uh, thank you for being here as a, a very special co-host from the also from the veterinary medicine perspective today. Thank you very much. So Sam, can you start off by introducing yourself um, a little bit about your own background and also a little bit about North Carolina State Veterinary Hospital? So I'm currently the Director of Business and Administrative Services for the Veterinary Hospital at NC State. Uh, we currently see about um, 32,000 accessions per year here at the hospital, both small and large animals. And uh, we introduced uh, Lean here at the hospital in um, 2013, and it's been an interesting journey thus far. And have you always been in veterinary medicine, always at NC State? I've been with the hospital for about 12 years now. Um, previously, I was in the banking world. I came from the bank manager position before I entered veterinary medicine, did a little bit of a uh, 180, not a full 360, but still in the financial world here in the hospital, but working in a lot of different areas and trying to improve the um, efficiency of our operations here. And for those who are listening from the context of, um, I recently learned to start calling this human healthcare, um, people who work in hospitals. Can you give a little sense of the scope of, you know, how many employees you have, how many doctors? Uh, here in the hospital, we have almost 200 staff members. Uh, we uh, work with upwards of three to 400 veterinarians um, throughout the college that work um, in various positions in the hospital and typically have about uh, 100 to 120 at a time veterinary students that are um, working in the hospital in their fourth year of study. And with that, um, we also have interns and residents um, have about, uh, I would say, about 100 um, residents and interns at, at, that are also working in the hospital um, at any given time. North Carolina State uh, recently uh, had a, uh, tried a little experiment with lean. Um, Taichi Ono wrote that uh, you start from need. 
what need prompted you all to consider lean? Uh, the very first uh, ex experiment or transition that we made in lean actually came from our pharmacy. When we uh, moved into the new um, Terry Center Small Animal Hospital in 2011, um, the pharmacy was struggling a little bit in terms of they felt like they were had added personnel but were not making any ground in terms of increasing their output. And one of the um, areas that they felt was really um, kind of a pain point was the chemotherapy prep with uh, the oncology service. And so we, um, they kind of reached out and said, please help us in some way. Um, and so I talked with them about uh, pioneering the lean approach with them um, in conjunction with doing some broader training throughout the hospital for everybody with lean um, to try and address that, that uh, problem um, for them. And so what we did was uh, took about uh, 50 people for the first round to do initial lean training just on what is lean and what is the lean approach to problem solving and included the, the pharmacy personnel and the oncology personnel that we were going to use for that first um, Kaizen event um, in that training and then um, used that uh, for our first project to get those folks together, map out that process, and take a look at, you know, where were we duplicating efforts, where were our, our wasted moments um, in that process. So how did you, Sam, how did you learn, first learn about lean as a possible solution as a way of helping the pharmacy and the hospital more broadly? Um, we became aware of uh, lean through the work that um, the folks from our College of Engineering Industrial Extension Service on campus uh, were doing with Rex Hospital, the human hospital that's just up the street from us. And they'd been working with them for a number of years. And I became aware of them several years ago, many probably about nine years ago, um, and approached the uh, hospital administration at that time and college administration about trying to do something here um, at, at our hospital, and it wasn't the right time for them to receive that. Um, and I kept at it over the years, and this was finally an opening where I had, you know, a, a service, a couple of services that were willing to dive into it, and I was able to, you know, find that window of opportunity and a good funding moment uh, to get that approved and get that started. What, what about uh, lean? Were you attracted to what? What did it offer that that made you think that this this might be something that works? I think the the efficiency uh, standpoint and looking at at your process so often. Uh, when we're trying to solve a problem, we, we make committees and we have meetings and we discuss things endlessly and, and you never come up with a solution um, or you wait to implement a solution until it's uh, quote-unquote perfect. Yeah. Um, and one of the things that I love about Lean is, is you know, try it. You know, the PDCA cycle, mm -hmm. let's try it, you know, see how it works, you know, you know, tinker with it a bit, you know, let's let's come up with concrete things. We're looking at, at things based on data. We're not looking at uh, generalizations or we think this is what's happening. We're looking at what's actually happening. We're getting the people in the room that are actually part of the process. We're not getting, you know, all of the senior management together to see what we think is happening in the trenches. So we're actually getting the people that are doing the work that are involved in each part of that process so we can see, okay, what is actually happening? What's the data that backs this up? And, you know, what can we change about this? And 
every single one of these um, events that I've been part of, both here in the hospital and also some uh, communities I'm a part of on campus, inevitably, you know, one person, um, you know, further up the line here is doing something that they think is very, very beneficial to the process, and somebody further down the line is saying, oh, my gosh, it's totally wrecking my day. <laughs> and so yeah, it, it's just fa fascinating yeah. to watch that, and, and I've, I've seen, you know, how much you can improve that, even just within those, you know, two- and three-day events, the growth that you can make just from that time that you spend doing that is just exponential and positive. Yeah, and I think you know, I think we're 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 chuckling. I know I'm chuckling because I mean those are very familiar um, circumstances from over in the the human healthcare side. When you mentioned committees and you know people getting uh, wound up about not wanting to try something unless it's perfect, uh, people having you know I, I, when I hear people say it's always kind of a red flag to me and say, well, I, I feel like we such and such. I'm like, well, wait a minute, let's go right. in, let's go and confirm <laughs> that. Let's look at data. Let's go and observe. Right. Well, and, and we found uh, there was one um, one group that we're working with with our small animal emergency service, and uh, one of the theories that they had proposed was um, about you know when do you get the owner's permission to draw blood to run the the CBC and chemistry panel? And they said, well, you know, 90% of our patients we run end up running a CBC chem on when you know at some point. So it'd be easier if we can just do it right away and going back and forth about, you know, consent and when do you do that. And when we actually ran the numbers, we found out it was, you know, 46% of those patients are getting the, those tests done through the emergency service. And so when you have those aha moments, you can show them, hey, this is what's actually happening. It really makes them go back and think about the decisions they're making about their process. Yeah. So, you, you know, you talk about understanding the process, collecting data, talking to the customer. What other lean methodologies were you using in that pharmacy uh, initiative or other work that you were doing early on? What, what, what did you find to be helpful? Um, I think that um, getting the right people in the room, and so, you know, pharmacy was a small project that we did between the pharmacy and the oncology. One of the things that came out of that was, you know, things that kind of everybody, we all looked at each other and said, well, that's common sense. When, they, they were batching the chemos together and even batching the oral chemotherapy into that where they weren't delivering those to the oncology service until they were delivering the compounded chemos. And, and they changed that whole process to where, you know, clients can actually, you know, come and pick up their pet at noon versus 6 p.m. And, you know, as an owner with a dog with cancer, that's, that's really important to be able to spend an extra time with your animal. Um, so there were some really quick, easy fixes with that process. The, the next work group is the anesthesia surgery group, which is not a quick fix, which is something we've been working on for um, quite some time because it, it reaches out to all of the different services. And so one of the things that uh, has come out of that is you're not just looking at the processes of the anesthesia group. You're having to look at the process of every service that they work with. And so some of the things that we're finding as far as, you know, looking at data, and this maybe this is true on the human side, is there's kind of a data vortex you can also get into where you're getting too much information um, and, and trying to figure out which things to focus on. And yeah. so mm -hmm. um, one of the things that we recently did um, with the anesthesia services is, is in trying to evaluate and using the anesthesia service to evaluate the efficiency of the services that they are um, working with 
is doing spaghetti diagrams of their process either you know when they get a case assigned before they have the patient with them how many trips are they making back and forth you know where are they going and why and then once they have the patient how many trips are they making around the hospital and gave us some really interesting data in terms of the different services you know why would you have to go and and meet with internal medicine you know five times before you've even picked up the patient and trying to look at you know what are we collecting on our our checklist ahead of time that's missing what you know that's causing you know that that level of inefficiency before we can even start the process with the patient well, and the one thing you know it's just interject I mean the one thing I really like about hearing your approach is that you know it was focused around a problem that was important the pharmacy was asking for help I hear you talking about uh, you know, pro- solving the high-level problem, but but using good problem-solving methods from lean to get toward that problem, as opposed to I, I see a lot of people you know struggle when when they get wrapped up around a lean tool. And, and I you know I'd propose you, you you wouldn't have gotten as far as if if you said okay everyone go do five S and people might have asked well why are we going to go why are we implementing a lean tool as opposed to solving a problem? So I, I like hearing that about your story and your approach there. Well, and that's what we've done with each of the groups that we're working with on the lean is we're starting out with with a problem list, mapping out, you know, the process, you know, a process to identify those problems and then generating that, that newspaper list of, of things to go out and conquer, you know, determining what's what are the most important goals and what, what are, you know, things that we can reasonably accomplish and what are things that are more long-term goals that are going to take a lot more effort. Um, but definitely working from the problem list versus um, just going out, like you say, and, and just kind of blanket doing something like that. I will say, though, that by by taking the approach of opening up that initial training, we ended up getting about 100 people through the initial training, and that in, was a mixture of staff, faculty, as well as house officers, residents, and interns. That kind of permeated throughout the hospital, so that sprinkled that lean throughout the hospital. And so there are little mini projects that people are doing throughout the hospital. So some of the ICU technicians that participated in uh, the training but weren't necessarily on one of the work groups started doing 5S in ICU because they opened the drawer and were horrified suddenly because Mm -hmm. they'd been through the training. So there's little pockets of things that that are happening that aren't necessarily associated with the work group just because people suddenly had a different uh, view of it based on that training. I think it's great because, you know, you, you introduce people to a tool, but then they chose to apply it because, like you said, they were they were horrified by something they now saw differently. Right. 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 Yeah, yeah that's what I, I, I had the same thoughts that, you know, one of the things that we, we, we point out about uh, lean versus other management systems is the, the bottom up uh, approach and that that these initiatives then become a staff initiatives that that bubble up from the bottom rather than the leaders always or the executive committee or the administrators always having to be the, the source of ideas uh, and um, pushing them down on, on things. So I'm, I'm really happy to hear that, that um, you know, your staff has, has really bought into this idea and, and uh, is taking it further and will continue to take it further. Well, I think that that's been um, uh a huge benefit of this process being used as a problem-solving tool in the hospital is it's given the staff the ability to change their work environment. 
um, and be a part of that process and empowering them to feel that they can change their environments. And it's really been probably one of the biggest things that we've been able to do to improve morale in the hospital. Mm-hmm. You know, veterinary medicine is a is a challenging business emotionally um, with what the staff have to deal with on a daily basis in terms of, you know, life and death situations. Mm-hmm. Um, and this has probably been one of the biggest benefits that we've seen in terms of improving morale is to give your staff the ability to improve their work environment. Right, so they can be part of the solution, not the cause of problems. Right. You know, just to say, hey, what what do you think? Let's get you involved. Let's look at what's happening, and, and let's let you make recommendations, and let's let you try things, and and we'll help you along the way. But we want we want it to be coming from the people that are actually doing the work, instead of you know twelve people sitting in a room, you know, deciding things that they think might be going on. Um, you you mentioned that you had um, uh, some difficulty uh, getting all of this started with your. Uh, um, top administrators and stuff like that. Uh, I'm interested to um, hear what, what what those feelings were. What were the what were the the problems that that they were having, and and how did you end up uh, facilitating all this and getting this going? I think um, it being a, a different approach than they had been exposed to before. not being familiar with it and then um, particularly with the um, the anesthesia work group uh, this being a problem that we've been trying to solve for 20 years um, in terms of you know being able to get more cases through anesthesia and be more efficient in in allocation of those resources I think just a level of of maybe cynicism (laughs) generated over time uh, that, you know, hey, we've been trying to, to, to get this solved for years. You know, how is this going to be any different? Um, and I think um, persistence, uh, I was very persistent in trying to get this started and being able to show results. Um, and also, I think getting enough people involved, you know, in the, in the initial training so that there were um, people that, got, you know, fired up about it and were excited about it and were applying it throughout the the hospital. But showing that it was uh, effective in improving things in the areas that we were working on with it, showing that it was effective in improving morale and in the staff, I think showing those results helped to cement it, you know, in the idea, in, in the eyes of the administration. Yeah. I mean, I, I recognize the I mean, I think it's it's common to have that skepticism or cynicism, you know, like like you said, I've seen this in human healthcare. People are skeptical. They say these problems have been around for a long time. How do we know we're going to solve it? How do we know this program is going to be effective? But the, the other thing we'll often hear, and I'm wondering, Sam, if you ran across this, you know, people will point out, you know, you know patients aren't cars. Why are you trying to teach us something you know, that they perceive as being about? the auto industry, did you have anyone pointing out, you know, the seemingly obvious statement that large animals, even large animals aren't cars, right? (laughs) (laughs) A little bit, um, but when you, when you can show them that everything is a process Mm -hmm. and, you know, the value stream mapping, it's kind of hard to argue with that when you can show that and, and point out um, the different steps in that. I mean, even, uh, you know, something that, that you would, categorized as a simple process when you map it out and there's, you know, 35 steps to it. 
um, it's really eye-opening to people that haven't sat down and looked at that before. And you go, oh, that is a process. I can see where this approach could work um, when you're when you're doing it that way, and not necessarily, you know, throwing all the terms at them all the time that are used. Um, you know, the official terms of everything, but really breaking it down to the nuts and bolts of what we're doing here. Um, But, you know, showing them the data that backs it up, um, you know, administrators love data Mm -hmm. (laughs) and and charts and showing them, you know, what's actually happening and and here's an improvement here. I mean, we were able to uh, move our caseload up in anesthesia. One of the goals of the anesthesia, not just getting more cases through, but getting them through during business hours. And so we were able to shift that up by about 36% to the daytime business hours, which was a, a big improvement in trying to get, you know, our, our clinicians out of here at a reasonable time instead of, you know, leaving here at nine o'clock at night. Yeah. You, you mentioned um, Valley Stream mapping. I'm, I'm interested in, in value stream mapping and, and, it's a, this is a new concept, I think, to veterinary medicine. Um, how did how did you do it? There's lots of different ways that that are in the literature about doing it. There's software. There's you know just paper and pencil. One of the more common ones that that uh, I've seen is a uh, the post-it notes on the wall type situation. How did how did you all do your value stream? What was your process in going through that? We did the post-it notes on the big white piece of paper on the wall, um, and and the folks that we worked with um, through the College of Engineering, uh, the Industrial Extension Service, that was their uh, method of doing that and their approach to that. And I think that there is a lot of value to um, putting people's hands on things, you know, and and you know when they have the ideas, you know, that they're shouting out throughout the process of things that we could do better and fix. They call them tulips, you know, putting them at the top. Uh, of your paper, and eventually we would, um, I would take that information and, and put it into um, the computer so that I had, you know, an electronic version of that. We would take a picture of it as well because you don't want to keep rolling out, you know, eight feet of, of white paper to take a look at your <laughs> diagram every day. But I right. think the value of having that up on the wall through your, you know, two or three day process as you're going through that people really um, latch on to that and understand that and put, can put their hands on that. And, yeah. you know, other people walking by are, are very interested. What are you doing? And they want to come in the room. They want to take a look at that. Um, there's something very organic about that process. Um, I'm, I'm a very technological person, and I love computer programs and things like that. But And when they first said, oh, you're going to do post-its up on the wall, I thought, gosh, are you guys crazy? <laughs> um, but it, there's really something um, valuable about that organic process, and people seem to really um, latch on to that and, and get fired up by the post-its. Yeah. Well, I, mean, the, I will the say ones... it's disappointing that they don't, they don't make the tulip post-its anymore. 3M stopped making the tulips. So that's the only disappointing thing about that. Are you <laughs> saying a tulip-shaped post-it? Yes, yes. Oh. I've never seen those, um, and I'm a post-it note connoisseur, I thought. <laughs> but, I mean, I think, yeah, I mean, there, there's something to be said for using post-it notes. It can be much more participatory as opposed to one person controlling a mouse, even if it's being displayed on a projector in a conference room. There, there's there's something tactile and, and more uh, in, in engaging sometimes, I think, about using the post-it notes and paper. That, that's the way I've always preferred to do this. I um I have a I have a um just a little a little follow up question. I I'm in, interested and curious about what what's the, the difference between when you went and actually did the value stream. What was the difference? What were the gaps between 
the way you thought the process was working or the way you thought the process was designed to work in the beginning and how it ended up actually flowing. Were you, were you surprised that, uh, were there surprises in there that uh, things were not quite as, <laughs> as uh, efficient as they, they should have been? There, there were some definite surprises in terms of how long certain things were taking. Um, it, any any patient that comes to the hospital inevitably is being um, sort of uh, touched by different services in different areas um, from the time they come in the door until the time they're discharged. And so there's multiple groups that are involved in that patient's uh, care throughout the process. And um, everyone loves to assess who's the, the backlog in that process, who's the one that's the, the holdup that's taking too much time. You know, everybody loves to say it's radiology or it's pharmacy or it's um, the person that's on call and call back in time or, you know, whoever, you know, it's always somebody that's, that's the problem in that process. Mm-hmm. And so it's fascinating to see where those time lags actually were because it wasn't necessarily where you thought they were. In some cases, we, we all knew where some of the issues were, but in, in other cases, it was interesting to see that um, some things were taking incredibly long periods of time, and it wasn't where we thought it was. Mm-hmm. And so those were some aha moments in, in, in looking at that and, and to be able to show, you know, some services that sometimes, you know, they were the ones that were the, were the gap. Um, and, and looking at ways that we could change how we're structuring that um, to shorten that gap. Mm-hmm. And it, it also had some benefit in looking at the teaching process too, which is interesting in a teaching hospital to look at, you know, what are the value points for the students in the teach, what's the teaching value of certain activities. And so, for instance, in, in our small animal emergency service, you know, one of the things that we really chewed upon was, you know, is there teaching value um, when they're rotating through the emergency service in them taking the history, um, you know, by themselves with the patient, with, with the client and the patient and looking at that process because that was one of the things that, that, that's how it's done in the other services, in the daytime services, but in an emergency scenario, is that a value-added um, teaching moment for the student? And they rearranged that a little bit in terms of the student with the clinician and how they were doing that process, which cut down the time that it was taking you know, for the patient to get to the treatment part of things and also increased the teaching value for the student. So what were some of the results? What was some of the impact from you know this initial dive into lean? So some of the things that um, we've been able to uh, achieve the um, with the pharmacy oncology process, we've been able to expedite the delivery of the chemo um, to the patients, and so giving the uh, clients. Uh, more of a staggered pickup time. It used to be everybody picks up, you know, at 6 p.m., and so now we've been able to stagger those pickup times throughout the day um, for the oncology patients. It's also been um, lightening the load on pharmacy in terms of them, um, you know, having to do, you know, six chemotherapy preps all at once, and so that's been a a great benefit for them. Uh, With anesthesia surgery, again, we've been able to um, shift those cases more to the daytime business hours. We're still working on um, increasing the number of cases you know, per day, per week uh, to get those through. One of the, um, the things that we're still working on is the anesthesia 
schedule distribution in terms of which services are doing procedures on which days and trying to even those uh, resource allocations out. Um, again, that's one thing we've discovered that it's not we're not just working on uh, making the anesthesia service more lean. We're working on making the entire hospital more lean, which has been a big uh, piece to chew on. Um, We've re revised a lot of our requirements um, in terms of some of the SOPs, our center and operating procedures, in terms of patient handling in the hospital, what's necessary um, prior to uh, an anesthetic procedure. We've also been able to implement some electronic solutions to make information available throughout the hospital. So patients, uh, right now we're on, uh, still on a, a paper medical record uh, for the most part. And one of the issues that we found were people looking for the paper medical record was delaying our patients uh, getting their um, anesthetic procedure started. So we've been able to, through a combination of our current, um, uh, what we call our, our veterinary hospital apps page, as well as the document management system that was implemented, we've been able to make a lot of the uh, patient information available electronically, so informed consents. Uh, lab results, everything like that is available now electronically so that um, they're not as rely reliant upon the paper record. Um, and uh, a lot of other kind of side things that necessarily weren't part of the uh, work groups, but things that people just started looking at and said, well, why are we doing this? Mm -hmm. um, so an example of that was we'd been, um, we have our uh, risk, our radiology information system that even though we are, um, those images and reports are available electronically, we were still printing those reports and putting them in the paper record because we're still on a paper medical record. And one day we said, well, I wonder how many people actually, you know, are going to the paper record, how many clinicians are going to the paper record to view that information. And when we polled everybody, um, almost no one was referencing it on the paper record. They were all referencing it electronically. So we picked a date and we stopped printing, you know, those thousands of sheets of paper that we're having to go down to medical records and get filed. Um, we also uh, were able to, with our computing resources folks, change the way the lab reports get printed out, which unfortunately do have to still go in the medical record, but they're able now to print them in the terminal digit order that medical records needs to file those um, reports rather than just coming down randomly and having to be sorted and filed. So kind of little, you know, efficiency things that cause a lot of you know, human hands work that we were able to look at kind of from a different perspective through the lean stuff. Hey, why are we doing this this way? Yeah. Well, and it seems like as, as you've progressed, there, there's that common theme of identifying problems, solving problems that matter. And, and as you, I guess, as people get better at this, would you agree they get better at identifying problems or prioritizing the right things to solve? Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, just questioning, you know, looking at, at what you're doing with new eyes um, and, and saying, you know, why are we doing it this way? Asking the whys, you know, I think they call it the five whys. But, you know, asking why are, we do, why, why are we doing it this way, not just accepting that that's the way we've always done it or that it can't be changed. You know, anything can be changed or tweaked, and it's, it's again, continuous improvement and stressing that to people. Like, nothing's ever really done. You can always make it better. Well, uh, Lean is never done. Podcasts uh, at some point have to be done. So we have time for just <laughs> the last couple of questions here. Um, have you looked, have you started looking at 
you know, the idea of lean as a management system and, and a culture. Um, I'm curious, you know, what, maybe what you've been reading about that or what you've been thinking about that to, to transition it from from problem solving and projects to, you know, what we see in, in some cases in human healthcare, people sort of having that ambition to say, you know, that this is our, our culture. This is the way we manage. I think that um, I, I would like to see it go that direction. I think we've made some some great strides in going that way. Mm-hmm. I think um, we need to have some more resources dedicated to it. Um, right now, um, it's essentially um, me trying to be the major force in that on top of a lot of other responsibilities. Uh-huh. Um, I have gone through the, the green, uh, Lean Six Sigma Green Belt training, um, but we definitely will need to devote some additional resources to it to, to move it to, to more of a, a culture here and yeah. uh, to, to really have it be part of the management structure. I think it, it would be wonderful to see that, and I'm, I'm hoping to continue moving in that direction. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do think um, it, looking at it as you know a culture of continuous improvement where you have the people in the trenches that are doing the work involved in the decision process and and you know making those changes and 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 constantly reassessing and looking for ways to do things better I think that that could do a lot to improve uh, you know the positivity of 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 the organization. And I think that that is definitely something that we want to strive for. Yeah. And, and that's, you know, I don't, you know, it's a, it's a huge challenge trying to, you know, move, um, you know, toward that. But, you know, like you said, it's, it's continuous improvement. It sounds like you have a lot of, uh, forward progress in, in your journey. So that's, uh, I think that that's definitely the thing to, um, to celebrate. Um, Chip, I'll, uh, leave it to you here for, uh, for the last question. Uh, well, thank you very much. Uh, I'm curious uh, about uh, uh, one of the things that has been um, a problem with veterinary medicine for as long as I've been in, and it's still a problem, it's a big talking point right now, is how do we get staff engaged? And you did you mentioned that a little bit. Um, could you speak a little bit to that to those of us um, that are in not a large teaching hospital or a human health care system? Um, those of us that are just uh, private veterinarians in a, in a private practice, what can what can what would you say to us uh, to conv- convince us that that lean is worth uh, at least uh, dipping your toe in? I would say that um, you know starting from getting them involved and in identifying what are the the concerns or challenges they're facing in their workplace. So. You know, sitting down and, and doing a value stream map. So, you know, you're in a, it sounds like a very high volume clinic, you know, a walk-in situation. So I'm sure that there, there are some chaotic situations that your staff are dealing with on a daily basis. There's, there's lots of chaos. <laughs> so, so getting getting the staff together and, and doing a value stream map and, and, you know, you can't, you know, map out everything all at once, but picking a process. So saying, you know, let's take a patient that walks in the door and let's map out, you know, that patient's journey through our hospital and looking at, you know, what happens and having them identify, you know, what's going well and what's not going well um, so that they're coming up with the things that they would like to solve, I think is the best way of getting them engaged. 
is the and, way and the I results, would approach that. And the, and the results that you're seeing with your staff, uh, feeling more empowered, um, uh, engaged, uh, what, what's been your uh, observation on that? They they want to work here. They want to come to work every day because they feel like instead of coming in and, and being frustrated and feeling like there's nothing they can do about it, they come in and they are looking at it from a different perspective. They are looking at it from what can I do about it and here are the things that I can change. And they know that you as the uh, you know the owner, the the clinician, the manager are are listening to them about what what things to change so they feel empowered to make a difference in their environment and it's a much different perspective than coming to work frustrated and feeling like you can't do anything about it and so they want to come to work because they want to they want to be able to make it better it's a huge difference in perspective and a huge difference in energy level and and a reason to come to work i think well uh, thank you thank you very much um i uh i hope that we can uh uh, get some veterinarians to uh, consider this. We've been we've been struggling for a long time in our in our profession to uh, to get some things solved. And uh, I really believe that uh, lean has, is a paradigm that that can uh, help us out quite a bit. And I'm so happy to to, to hear about you all at, at North Carolina State uh, showing that this can work in veterinary medicine. I I really um, love that 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 aspect of it. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thanks. And thanks, Sam. And actually, I, I want to sneak and slip in one more question that, that Chip had uh, prepared. And I think, you know, kind of build on what we were just talking about here of what what's possible. Um, you know, Sam, you're in, a, you know, an academic large uh, you know, hospital setting. What advice would you have for veterinarians who are maybe working in private practice, um, more, like, more like CHIP, it, how, you know, do you have any kind of, you know, piece of advice for them to, to maybe think about their own practice and, and what Lean uh, could do for them? Um, I think just staying positive and, and, you know, don't give up. There's going to be a lot of, um, you know, for people that aren't familiar with it, there might be some resistance and, and there tends to be, and, and I don't know if this is, strictly academia or this is also true in private practice or this is just veterinary medicine in general but you know sometimes folks that say well we tried that 10 years ago and it didn't work or um, you know we had a committee on that 20 years ago and they didn't solve anything but you know just being um, you know open and and positive about it and and really you know teaching the staff and uh, about what lean really is and and you know being diligent in collecting your data and showing sharing the data and and showing people what's actually happening and involving them in the process i think can get them on board but you know, you've got to have a champion you, you, that goes in there you can't have somebody that goes in that's not you know a believer themselves so um you've got to have that champion to get things going and get people um inspired yeah, well, that's uh, that's great advice. So uh, again, I uh, want to thank Sam Parrott from North Carolina State Veterinary Hospital. Thank you so much for being our guest and sharing your experiences and uh, advice and thoughts with us today. My pleasure. Thank you so much. Thank you, Mark. Thanks for listening. This has been the Lean Blog Podcast. For lean news and commentary updated daily, visit www.leanblog.org. If you have any questions or comments about this podcast, email mark at leanpodcast at gmail.com.